Hi, hello, welcome to season three of the Media Podcasts. Uh, this is episode one, the start of this new season, and we're going to be talking about entertainment in 2022, the new normal attention economy. So with me, I have my fellow co-founders of Media. So there's Carol and Mark. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and your coverage areas? Sure. I, I'm Mark Mulligan. I'm uh, one of the co-founders here of Media, um, best known for my uh, music industry-focused research, but also <clears throat> spend a lot of time looking at the, 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 the cross-vertical issues like fandom and the attention economy, etc. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. Uh, great to be here. Uh, also one of the Media co-founders, and uh, I head up the games coverage area at Media, also looking a lot at consumer trends, consumer behaviors, overlaps between cross-entertainment sectors and where the markets are going. I think that's probably about it for now, Tim. Great, and I should introduce myself as well. So I'm the research director and the lead video analyst at Media. My key focus is around the streaming video landscape. Okay, so let's get into this. There's a lot to pack in here. I think, first of all, Carol, it really helped to get a sense of where we are now in this this term that we defined as the attention economy. So could you give us a recap on Midia's thinking around peak attention and how that has evolved during lockdown and the COVID bounce? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with a, with a bit of a recap of the sort of 2019 peak attention and go through the trend that we named COVID bounce and end up with where we are now. So really to keep it quite short, the advent of the smartphone years and years ago saturated the previously available consumer time. Those were things like staring out of the window or waiting at the bus stop, etc. And of course, while the 24-hour day limit remained constant, more and more apps and content were produced and adopted. And at one point, as consumers piled these on top of each other, there was no more free time left to allocate to new digital propositions. But of course, that didn't really stop the supply side to keep producing more and more. And ultimately, consumers had to start prioritizing between apps and content more than ever before. And so back in 2019, we called this phase the post-peak attention economy. Since nearly all of the consumer entertainment time and attention were already allocated, most of new growth since then had to come at the uh, expense of someone else. So the key here was to start concentrating on building positive sentiment. That was kind of the advice that we we give back then. If consumers want to prioritize between apps, how are they going to decide? Well, you need to have a good amount of positive sentiment built towards that. But then an unexpected disruption came in, in form of COVID, and companies quickly realized that there was a bit of a window of opportunity to grab more time spent as the out-of-home life was largely halted. And this is what we call the COVID bounce. Indeed, you know, a portion of time became temporarily available for digital companies to compete for. But as Mark will tell you in a moment, I mean, consumers nearly immediately reallocated whatever time freed up to just fill that gap. So we call this the bounce rather than a boost because it was obvious that IRL or the in real life propositions at some point were going to start fighting back to claim its attention and time spent as we arrive at a new normal. So consumers have at that point been somewhat over allocated because they started spending more time on the digital, but that IRL was going to come back. So we're going to see this kind of consolidation in time spent on digital. 
And this is precisely what we are calling entering the attention recession. But I guess not to give uh, you know everything away. I'll 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 hand I'll hand over to Mark to give you a little more about it. But just the one last thing I was going to say about it is you know if you think how important positive sentiment or fandom was to compete back at the peak of the attention econ- economy when time was fully allocated, just think about how much more important it is going to be now at times where entertainment time is actually over allocated. Mark. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll pick up the button and run with it. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with, it's a really good setup there, Carol, thanks. And I think, you know, just to cut to the chase, there was always going to be a risk once we started having something that resembled pre-pandemic behaviours and habits beginning to return, that we would end up having to just have daily, everyday things getting back in the way of the, you know, the extra time we'd spent with entertainment. And so by the end of June, you know, which is... Not that far into this beginning of a return to some degree of normality, we'd already seen more than 40% of all the new time which had been won during the pandemic had gone. It literally took a handful of months for basically a year and a half, for nearly nearly half of a year and a half worth of newly gained entertainment time to go. But what made it even more significant is it didn't get everybody affected in the same way. So, for example, during the pandemic, audiobooks and podcasts absolutely flew. Huge, huge uplift. They were also the ones which saw the strongest decline in, in the first six months of 2021. So those new habits which have been developed during lockdown, at least in the initial period, haven't translated that well when people start getting back on trains and cars, etc., you know, in, in, in the commute. And then on top of that, there are a few aspects which actually increased between the end of 2020 and mid-2021. Social media and social video are the two big winners. So if most things are declining and some things declining really strongly and overall time is going down, those categories which are growing, they're getting like a double impact of growth. You know, to be growing in a declining market, you know, it speaks volumes to the strength and the importance of those, of those formats. And it also speaks volumes to how difficult it is going to be for a streaming music service, a game, a news site, whatever it might be that has lost a bunch of hours during the first six months of this year, how it's going to get it back. So without going into any more of the detail, the summary is this. There was this inflation of extra time which happened during the pandemic. A bunch of that time has already gone. So notwithstanding the current latest waves of COVID, you know, we're recording this at the tail end of 2021. So going into 2022, it looks like it's going to be another year, which will be at the very least impacted by the pandemic. So yes, that it will probably not be just any other year next year. But the more that we return to pre-pandemic behaviours, going out, going, getting on a, you know, on a, on a train, going to the gym, whatever it might be, those extra gained hours are going to be going to some degree and other formats are winning more hours which means it's basically just going to get super super competitive it feels to me like what we're saying here is there is a new normal and that there are some definite winners as opposed to some losers in this attention recession overall attention digital attention is going up in specific areas but What I'm intrigued to find out here from both your perspectives is, are we moving into something new? Are we moving into some kind of hybrid future environment where, and I know Carol, you've done a bit of work around this, where there is actually an increasing relevance towards the need to bridge the digital lives, which we're increasingly leading, 
especially in entertainment, with the IRL, the in real life entertainment alternative. So now coming back as we move out of lockdown, as mass vaccination rolls out across uh, the global economy. So, Carol. Sure. So I think I think you know one of the those conclusions or or things that is very much connected to this is that. You know, going forward, it will be even more important to give consumers reasons to stay around rather than just providing them ways and opportunities to stay around. I think there are a couple of sort of kind of like meta reasons that that we could that we could explore further, part of which are the bridging of the IRL and digital, etc. I think it really comes down to having as strong of a positive sentiment to the proposition, offering better value for money and offering better user experiences. Or there is going to be some easing from the supply side, and there is going to be something that happens that actually unlocks more time for consumers. But we have seen, even during this bounce, there was more time unlocked, and consumers basically reallocated it almost immediately. So to me, it's a lot about building that stronger fandom, better value for money, and better user experience. And actually, bridging the IRL and the digital propositions, even though... Some may have, uh, some, some even asked us before, you know, so what is the kind of time that you're going to unlock by starting to bridge these two together? And it's actually not even as much about unlocking new time rather than making the current clunky experiences around multitasking and switching between platforms and fragmented worlds, etc. Making that experience a lot more seamless. I think that's what, where the biggest value of bridging the IRL and digital will be. And we actually got a whole episode in this season dedicated to that. So we'll make sure to explore there more. But I see Mark, your hand is up. Yeah. So it's just what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, sort of bring this down maybe a bit from the clouds of theory and talk about it as, you know, what this actually means as practical examples. Really, if we boil it down, we've established it's going to get harder to get your audience's time. Number two, um, it's you're going to have to give people really good reasons rather than just ways to spend their, their time with you. And number three, you've got to look at how you can be really clever making you, you know, what whatever it is you do, work with other stuff around you. So if you take those three essences, I think there's some really good examples within games, which you obviously uh, cover in a lot more detail than an university, Carol. But when you look at the way in which the various parts of the game's consumption landscape have all led to coexist. You know, whether you're a game streamer, whether it's Discord, whether it's FaceTime, whether it's Xbox, you know, with all of these things, work on the understanding that a, a typical gamer is going to have two or more of these things open at any individual time. And I think that is really, you know, the, it's that idea of people wanted to squeeze in more time. Now, that might be augmented reality. It might simply be integration into a messaging app or whatever. It might be a watch together. It might be a listen together. But it's essentially making sure that what you are, whether you, and it doesn't matter whether you're music or news or sports or games, whatever, that you can be a part of the other things which are going on around people. I think we are beginning to move away from the era of any form of entertainment thinking, I have got my audience for the period of time that they are engaging with whatever it is we do. Now, music... They had to wake up to this decades ago. The idea that music was just sitting in the background while you do a bunch of other stuff. And that has become, you know, way more prevalent in the streaming era where, you know, music is just this soundtrack to the rest of your lives. But this is happening to everyone now. So music, once again, has been the canary in the mine for understanding that entertainment, it doesn't matter whether it's Netflix that's whacked on in the kitchen while somebody cooks or whether it's, uh, you know, a, a podcast on while somebody's doing, uh, you know, cleaning the house or it's Discord while playing a game. That is the reality of what happens in the saturated attention economy. 
we even oh i mean from the games perspective people have always thought about games being kind of like the very protected entertainment format right because it's interactive it requires a lot of attention but we're seeing now you know people playing multiple games at once even right yeah this to me feels like we've actually got to reevaluate how we measure this form of engagement right so we think about multitasking whilst dealing with multiple different uh, inputs from entertainment the the very the, the almost the crude way that we've been judging and evaluating ent- uh, entertainment engagement via uh, monthly active users weekly active users daily active users is actually now no longer fit for purpose in this new uh, evolving increasingly overlapping ecosystem where Entertainment is so key to many of these uh, propositions that are in the market, but the quality of the engagement is now more important than ever. And the other side of this is what kind of engagement are we looking at here? Not just what are the new metrics, but also if we take an example of a service such as Discord, that is obviously a key part of the gaming proposition. They don't actually need to have the same level of, of engagement that Fortnite would need to have or a YouTube video streaming uh, on another monitor would need to have to be able to have the quality of engagement they require. So I know this is this is an area which is of increasing concern for our client base, and we are looking at this in greater detail. I know, Mark, you've done some preliminary work in trying to establish what these new metrics could be. Yeah, and I, I think the, the ultimate thing is is we may not have metrics. You know, this is the thing. You, you can measure activity quite easily. You can't measure real attention without doing things like, you know, sort of eyeball tracking or whatever else and becoming really invasive. And even then, just because somebody's looking at something doesn't even necessarily mean they're paying attention to it. You know, they might be talking to someone or whatever it might be. So I think it really comes down to having where Carol was sort of talking about a few minutes ago about, you know, the importance of driving value and sentiment, etc. I think it really comes down to is making sure that you're delivering the absolute best of what you can do. You know, good enough is no longer good enough. Uh, you know, and we're and, and couple, you know, this connects into the much broader things about content is better personalized than ever. And I don't simply mean that as in the algorithm is delivering you what you want to watch, listen or play. It's that Somebody has designed what you're about to watch, listen, or play with you in mind, rather than let's just make something that's going to have some like broad appeal. So you've got that's been happening. You've got the, the the personalization for algorithms. So there is more stuff that's tailored to all of our tastes. This has been happening for years. Now that is no longer a nice to have. That you know it goes to need to have. It's like the if you can no longer be sure that you're going to be getting 100% of the time and the attention of whoever it is that you're is engaging with your content. You've got to make sure it is as well targeted to the needs of that individual as it can possibly be. Otherwise, the two or three other things that person is doing may get more of their attention. And that's actually one of the one of the things that's that's kind of on the up anyway, isn't it? Is the the sort of cross entertainment bundles and propositions that are kind of, kind of stemming out of this, right? Like at, at the end of the day, it's the realization that no matter whether you're a video company or a games company or a music company, your consumers and your audience are very likely engaging in all of these activities. So it's almost like hedging your bets against the within the attention wars, you could say, is to make sure that you are, you are you know, not fighting against people. If you're a video company, not fighting against them starting a music session or a game session, but actually embrace that need and accommodate that need and make that, make that use case a little easier to attain 
than it currently is. Consumers are already multitasking all the time, and the experience is incredibly clunky. If we make it even clunkier, they're not going to stop multitasking, but those that make it really seamless might just end up being the winners, in my opinion. So, Carol, is there a risk here that if we are moving increasingly towards bundled propositions in this space, that there's a danger that this is going to lead to a lack of exclusivity, which would almost be like a race to the bottom because if everyone's offering the same things, where's the point of differentiation for the uh, the user experience and the value proposition for going one particular service or bundle of services as opposed to another uh, competing service? Yeah, I mean, the cynic in me <laughs> wants to say, yes, there is this danger, <laughs> but... Uh... Mark, <laughs> you might you might have a more sober uh, sober uh, outlook on this. <laughs> now, uh, so uh, at risk of dodging the question a little bit, I think trying to bring things down from the you know from the slightly esoteric to the you know the, the practical is why do people entertain uh, consume entertainment because they like it? You know, it's really that simple. So as long as you're creating really good content that's well targeted at users and is realistic about how much of their attention it's going to grab and you're being smart about plugging in and connecting with all of these other things and to your point carol making it a less clunky integrated multitasking experience then ultimately just the people who do that best are going to you know do really well and that might be yeah if you are apple and you've got a multi-bundle or you google and you've got a multi-bundle do you have an advantage of course you have an advantage but they've got an advantage in streaming music Neither of them are, you know, none of the tech majors are the leading streaming service. So it's still Spotify. They've got an advantage in streaming video. You know, it's still, you know, Netflix is the leading video provider. So advantages do not mean market dominance. They just mean that they have an advantage. So could any of the tech majors with a multi-bundle play have an advantage in this, you know, post-saturated attention economy? Of course it could. But it does not mean that they're going to be runaway winners. And just to build up on that, I mean, sort of joking aside about me being too much of a cynic, but, uh, you know, there is a a trend that we are seeing and currently exploring, which which also is included, I think, in our 2022 predictions. And that's where we talk about the rise of the infrastructure. Essentially, we always used to look at the value chain with the, through the lens of rights holders, infrastructure, and distribution. And we've lived through the era where content used to be king. We've even lived through the era where distribution used to be king. And to your point, Tim, if, if everyone's going to end up offering everything, then that content no longer provides that unique selling point as much as it once used to. Same with distribution. So actually, if we're talking about the differences really uh, moving the needle in way of user experience and in way of how how easy or seamless you can make multitasking, etc. What it's going to look like and all of these things. Really, it's going to be dominated by the by the infrastructure side of the value chain. To me, that's probably one of the really big shifts that we are about to enter. Content used to be king, distribution used to be king, and now infrastructure will actually get to be king too. After all. So almost a uh, we're almost looking at an entertainment trend cycle here. So it's going going full circle back to how it was in the pre digital era, where distribution, the technology powering that distribution, was of primary importance over the actual value of the content itself. Certainly, that was the case in uh, linear TV. So, Mark, does that resonate with uh, what's currently happening in music as well? Yeah, and I, I think there's a, the, there is an important difference as well. And the important difference is 
compared to when radio and linear TV were coming in, in, into the, the eras of dominance, there were not as many people making content and not as many people trying to get audiences and not as many people setting up media companies, not as many people with global aspirations. Everything has accelerated. There is so much more activity on the supply side, whether we're talking rights, distribution or infrastructure, there is just more of it. And that is why we have the attention economy and saturation, because so many people are trying to get to audiences. So this could go a number of ways, right? We could end up with a consolidation period where there are lots of bodies alongside the you know, along the roadside, or we could just get into a period where everybody learns to compete for ever smaller shares of dedicated attention and also other amounts of share of you know non-dedicated attention. I think that's really we'll be thinking about audiences in that sort of like twin speed way, which is I've got all of their attention, I've got some of their attention. And in the future we may have ad products which are sold on that basis. Dear advertiser, this is a lower CPM because the people who are consuming this content are just doing this as a sideline activity alongside something else they're doing. If you want to get the the form of a, uh, uh, content which is really grabbing people's attention, then the CPM is ten times more expensive for that. Because you know, and so I think we'll just see that is just an illustration of how the dynamics of the entertainment world will evolve in response to this, just in the same way as they responded in the evolution of the internet, in the evolution of mobile, the evolution of streaming. Every one of these things brought a whole new epoch of all of the different ways in which content is made, audiences consume, advertising is sold, monetization is done. And I think we're at the starting point of that next thing, the next phase of content distribution, monetization and consumption. And Carol, how, how does that look in the games landscape? Because I know you've identified this infrastructure by the, the ease of navigating through different uh, media experiences on one uh, bundle proposition as potentially being the most important uh, USP for a service going forwards in this new landscape. How does it specifically apply to games? Yeah, I think it's really important in games because particularly we've seen this shift over the last couple of years and that that shift is still very much ongoing is moving from the sort of unit sales led approach towards the engagement led approach. Games companies are more and more dependent in order to monetize. They're more and more dependent on their engagement. And that is a part of why that need for cross entertainment activations and the flurry of all the in-game concerts and you know in-game uh, video premiere performances all of these things have suddenly penetrated the games experience it is uh, it is perhaps no longer enough for games to only do you know gamer centric iterations of the new season they do now need to include all of these things in order to stay relevant and to make that experience seamless and actually games are really well positioned to offer that whole, I guess, you know, cross-entertainment, multitasking setup to a consumer because they are interactive. And actually, I wonder whether, whether you know, we are going to see a little bit of a pause on, on this trend as and when VR breaks through properly in way of adoption. Because again, we used to always say, oh yeah, but people aren't going to multitask with games because they're going to play them. Now we know that's happening already as well. Maybe VR if you need to put that big headset over your head, it will actually isolate you from a lot of the traditional entertainment consumption. But I would say, make no mistake, it's only going to be a couple of years until all of the propositions are available within the VR headset again. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, I, I was just going to add that. I think the what if you you know in VR chat you can already go and do a whole bunch of other things you know which can compete for your attention within VR, right? You know, and if you want to go to a club, you want to watch Netflix, you want to you know, there's all these different things in there. If you're in GTA, you can be listening to you know just outside of VR, but in you know GTA, you can be listening to GTA radio. Uh, you can be going into the cinema. You know, I think we the more and more, and this is you know I'm stealing your idea here, Carol, but it's one of the things you started to talk about last year was the idea that the more and more time that people spend in these interactive worlds, which at the moment are predominantly games, but will be far more than games in the future, the more everything else will go in there because that's where people are spending the time. You know, you chase people's attention. So I think you're absolutely right. Phase one of the metaverse is, wow, it's back to how things used to be. You can just focus on doing one thing. Very, very quickly, everybody else is going to be steaming in, trying to get everybody else's attention back to them. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. Well, I think we're coming to a conclusion here about where things might go. Uh, but the really important caveat is this has all happened before and it will happen again. But what we do know is that there's an increasing trend towards uh, all these aspects around refining engagement and refining the value proposition to increasingly not take attention for granted and to define what the peculiarities of the particular metrics that are relevant for individual services. So we're going to have to wrap this up because we have our own limited amount of attention time for this uh, session. And this is the first of six episodes in the third season. So I'd like to thank both my guests here, Mark uh, and Carol, for having a, a stimulating debate around this. And this is the first episode of six, so please stay tuned uh, in an analog phrase. Please, please watch out for our episode two that will be coming shortly to continue these themes about the most important dynamics shaping the digital entertainment economy in 2022 and beyond. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favourite podcast platform. 